we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of Urgency of Change. Each weekly episode in this season of the Krishnamurti podcast is based on a major theme of the philosopher's talks, such as freedom, self-knowledge, beauty, intelligence and meditation. Extracts from our archives have been carefully selected to represent Krishnamurti's different approaches to each of these universal and timelessly relevant themes. This week's theme is Relationship. Upcoming themes are Beauty, Compassion and Death. This podcast is brought to you by Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please see our official YouTube channel for hundreds of video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's full talks and shorter extracts. We are a non-profit charity and rely on your support to continue to preserve and make Krishnamurti's work available. If you enjoy our podcast please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This week's podcast has two sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk in Ojai, 1973, titled A Life in Which There Is No Conflict in Relationship. First, let us deal with the problem of human relationship bearing in mind that we are sharing this together. I am not telling you what to do. I am not your guru or philosopher or your analyst. You've got plenty of them, unfortunately. On the contrary, what we are saying is that you must be a light to yourself and therefore no authority. Except the authority of the law which you have made. And if you want to change the Law, you have to change yourself first. So we're going to deal with relationship, human relationship, because that is society. Relationship means life. There is no living without relationship. Relationship means action, movement. And without understanding human relationship, the totality of it, we shall always live in conflict with each other. 
however intimate we may be. So that is one of the primary important things to grapple, to put our minds and heart to understand it. Please see, this, see the seriousness of it. Because without relationship there is no life. Relationship implies action. When in that relationship there is contradiction, there is division, then there is conflict. And as our life, everyday life, in relationship is a series of conflicts, between you and your closest, most intimate friend, between you and your neighbour, between you and the neighbour who may be thousands of miles away. And when there is a division, whether that division be national, religious, a division brought about by belief, a conclusion, your particular idiosyncrasy, then that division invariably will bring about not only conflict but violence, antagonism, aggression, brutality. This is a fact, not a theory, not something invented by the speaker. Look at your own relationship with another. Look at it objectively, not sentimentally, not emotionally, but look at it very clearly. To observe it so that you see clearly not only yourself in relationship, but how in that relationship you have created an image about yourself and the image about another. Please do pay attention to this, because this is the most basic thing in life. Because if we don't have a true relationship with another, we live in isolation. Whether that isolation be intellectual, self-centred or ideological. These are all images 
And when you have an image, that very image, whether it be a verbal image or an image of imagination, a contrivance, by thought, then that image divides. You have an image about your wife or your husband, your girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever it is, you have an image. And she or he has an image about you. So the relationship is between these two images, which is not a relationship at all, it is a relationship based on a conclusion, on knowledge. So, when there is knowledge as image in relationship, then there is conflict. That is that clear? Can we go on from there? We are sharing this together. I'm not telling you anything. I'm only pointing out. And if you are sensitive, earnest, serious, then you have to face this problem. Whether a relationship can exist between two human beings in which there is no image at all, then only there is relationship. Otherwise there isn't any. It is a relationship based on a conclusion, on a memory on an idea or an image, and therefore it is an abstraction, an abstraction, a thing drawn from a reality, and one lives in that abstraction of images. Right? So is it possible to live with another, and therefore with society, and therefore bring totally different kind of society in which relationship is not based on conclusions, images, knowledge. You understood the problem? I hope I am making my question clear. You understand? Where there is division, as Americans and Russians, or Christians and Hindus, or Buddhists or Islam, Muhammadans, this very division is conflict. Right? 
you may tolerate, you may put up with something, but at the core, when there is any kind of division, as it, there is in the world, the national division, we the Americans, we the Russians, we the Maoists, or we belonging to some guru, the Krishna consciousness and the transcendental meditationists, all those things that are pervading this country, and you being so astonishingly gullible, swallow all this, because you want new forms of entertainment. And when one sees the division of any kind, must breed inevitably struggle, conflict, war, brutality and all the rest of it. Then is it possible for the mind and the heart, when we use the word mind, we are using that word totally in the sense mind, heart, psyche, the whole human being. Can the mind in relationship have no image whatsoever and therefore live a life in which there is no conflict in relationship? That is one of the challenges, perhaps the greatest. You have images, of that there is no doubt about it, haven't you? If you are married, you have built an image about her and she has built an image about you. The image of one day or ten years, nagging, bullying, sexual pleasures, you know, all the things that the mind accumulates, which is knowledge about another, this knowledge is the image you have. Can one observe it? Not asking how to get rid of the image, we'll go into that in a minute, but just to be aware. Of these images that one has, the national image, the Christian image, and so on, the dozens and dozens of images that one has built up, or the image you have about another, because that is more 
that is near, that you can almost get at. Can you observe that image and not try to break it down or to ask the question how to be free of that image? So one has to go into this question of what it is to observe. Indeed, we are being pleased sharing this together. We are trying to investigate together. The word investigate means to trace out, to follow the thing right through and not stop in the middle when it doesn't please you to go further. So we are investigating together this question <coughs> of relationship which is one of the most fundamental things of life. And without understanding that deeply, you cannot possibly go beyond. You may escape from it through religion, through drugs, through uh, sex, through, you know, joining one group after another, and all that kind of nonsense that goes on. So, what, it, what is it to observe? How do you observe <coughs> the image that you have about another? You have an image about the speaker, obviously, otherwise you wouldn't be sitting here. Can you observe the image which you have about the speaker or about your wife or friend, whatever it is, can you observe it? And we are investigating the word the meaning of that word to observe. How do you observe? Do you observe the image as an outsider looking at the image? Or there is no division between you as the observer and the observed, which is the image? You understand the question? I don't know, have you, may I, is that clear, my, have I explained the question? No. No. I'll go into it again in a different way. When you observe that mountain or that tree or the water flowing under the bridge, and the beauty of a bird on the wing, on the light of the morning. How do you observe it? As an outsider looking, 
or there is no division between you and the thing you are seeing. When you look at that mountain, do you look at it with the image you have about that mount, about mountains? Or do you look at it without the image or the idea or the word of a mountain? So that there is no division, a verbal division between the observer and the observed. Perhaps you can do that fairly easily with regard to mountains, trees and birds and the lovely trunk of this tree. But when it becomes a little more intimate, it becomes much more difficult. You have an image, haven't you, about your friend. How do you look at it? Do you look at it as though you are outside of it and looking at the image which you have built up? Or do you look at it non-verbally, therefore you and the image are one. The observer is the observed. Right? That's clear, isn't it? At least the explanation. But the explanation is not the explained. We are considering the explained, not the explanation. So can you observe the image you have built about another without another image? And so, to observe then implies that you must give your total attention or total awareness to that which you see. If you see something which you don't like or like in that image, then the like and the dislike, which are also another form of image, bring about a division. So it's very important, if one may point out, to learn the art of observation. Because in that lies the clue to observe without any conclusion. Then you will see that between you and the image 
the division disappears. Therefore, you are the you are the image. And therefore, having no division, the image ceases. Are you following all this? No, I'm afraid you're not. Too bad. Because you see, you're not used to thinking. You're not used to... I'm afraid you're used to being told what to do. Unfortunately, in this country, everything is organized. And you attend classes to learn, to be aware, to be sensitive, to how to meditate, what to do. You have been brought up on that. Christians, what to believe, what not to believe, as the Hindus, as the Muslims, as the Buddhists, they're all just second-hand human beings told what to do. And we are not telling you what to do. What we are trying to do is share together an immense problem, a problem of relationship. And where there is division, there is no love. Love isn't pleasure. Love isn't desire, which you have made it into. And that's why you pursue everything in terms of pleasure. So, it's very important to understand this, pro- this question. What is relationship? Until you resolve this, not according to some philosopher or psychologist or analyst or according to your belief or pleasure, but actually in your daily life. If you haven't resolved this problem, you are contributing to the corruption of the world. And relationship means a movement in action with another human being. Because life is relationship. And if you observe, you will see that you are, through daily life, 
you are isolating yourself. This isolation is self-centeredness, the tremendous concern about oneself. Aren't you concerned deeply about yourself? Whether you succeed, whether you fail, whether you are happy, unhappy, whether your desires are fulfilled, whether you are achieving enlightenment, God knows what else. And this isolation, which is the self-centeredness of yours and the self-centeredness of another, how can there be a relationship between the two? If there is no relationship between the two, and therefore inevitably there must be conflict. And our society is based on this principle of conflict, which means of having no relationship. You may sleep with another, hold hands with another, have a family, but you, self-centered, ambitious, greedy, pursuing your own fulfilment, must inevitably create a division between you and another. This is a fact. This is a psychological Certainly, when a man who really is concerned to bring about a totally different kind of morality, behaviour, a social structure, until he understands and brings about right relationship with another. He is contributing to the brutality, to the violence, to the extraordinary things that are going on in this ugly, mad world. Right? So we have this problem. To having created image, how to prevent the creation of further images and what to do with the past image that one has. You see the problem? Do you, sirs? No? Look, I have an image about you. I haven't, but I suppose. I have an image about you. I have built it up through my interaction with you. There are those images in my mind. And I realize that to be really related with another there must be no image. Now, how am I to be free of those images? That's one point. The second is, how am I not to create images at all? in relationship, whatever you do. You understand the two? 
how am I not to create images? Whatever you do, whether you call me a fool, flatter me, steal things from me, insult me, hurt me, not to have an image. That is, how am I not to be hurt by you? Right? Let's bring down to that simple thing. Because the hurt is the building of image, as flattery is also building of image. From childhood we have been hurt. This hurt takes the form of competition. When you are being compared with another, that happens in schools and families, the hurt has begun. Right? Society hurts us. Parents hurt you. Your friends hurt you. And war, that's, a phys- that's another, hurt you psychologically, inwardly. We are human beings who are terribly hurt. We may shed tears quietly by ourselves in our rooms, or because we are hurt, we want to, we, turn, we become violent, aggressive, self-protective, defensive and all the rest of it. So, how is a mind not to be hurt at all? There are two problems, having been hurt and never to be hurt again. Are you following all this? Are we sharing together? Please share it. Not agree. What? Well, that's you, that's understood. <laughs> Shared together. How is a mind never to be hurt? Having been hurt, how is a mind to be free of all hurts? You're following this? See this sequence of being hurt. Violence, aggression, bitterness, resistance, isolation, all kinds of neurotic activities. Because the mind is terribly hurt of which you may be conscious or unconscious. <clears throat> if you can find out for yourself 
not because somebody points it out, if you can find it out for yourself, whether the mind, that is the total being, can never be heard, then you will see that you have wiped away all the past images, past hurts. So the question is, how can the mind, your mind, never to be hurt at all? I've got the question. You tell me I'm a fool, or you tell me I'm a great man, which are both the same. And I listen to you. The one I like, the other I don't like. Can I listen to you? Please listen to this. Can I listen to you when you call me a fool or a great man with total attention so that there is no reaction to your verbal statement. Can you listen to your wife or to your friend with total attention when she or he calls you all kinds of things or flatters you? In that total attention, in that choiceless awareness, there, is, there are no frontiers, there are no borders. It is only when there is a border, when there is a, a line, that the mind gets hurt. You get it? When there is no border as the center which is being hurt, then there is no question of being hurt at all. Have you, you understand this or no? No. All right, let me go and put it in a different way. What is it that is being hurt? The image that you have about yourself, that image is getting hurt, isn't it? When you call me a fool, I have an image that I'm not a fool. And I have this conclusion that I'm not a fool, and therefore you, when you call me that, I get hurt, I get disturbed. That is, please listen to this, when there is no image as the me, which means the me, the self, is not, because there is no image of me, then whatever you say, either pleasant or unpleasant, is not a response 
does not meet the response of being hurt. You understand? It is the center as the me that gets hurt. Now can the mind listen with tremendous attention, care, love, listen? when you say something pleasant or unpleasant. What gets hurt is the resistance which you have. If you have no resistance, there is no hurt. You understand? This is, please, this is terribly important in relationship. One has lived seventy years or fifty years or ten years. Things happen. Incidents take place. Uninvited occurrence takes place. And to have a mind that walks through all this without a single hurt. That is real innocence. The word innocent means a mind that is not, be, not capable of being hurt. The real meaning of that word in the dictionary is a mind that is not capable of being hurt. And it will be hurt if there is an image as Krishnamurti or Mr. Smith or Mr. Y. That image puts a limit, a border, a, a line which you cannot cross. The moment you cross, I get hurt. So in relationship, to live a life, daily life, every moment of it, not just once a week, but every day, in relationship in which there is not a single image. If you can do this, Really, not intellectually or verbally or emotionally, actually do it, you will bring about a totally different kind of human being. Therefore, a different kind of society. And such a relationship is love. But that word has been so abused, which will go into it perhaps in all these meetings or gatherings that we have. Now, this past twelve, 
perhaps you care to ask questions and talk things over. relationship, not objective. If you make an objective of having a right relationship, listen to this, if you make an objective, a purpose in life of having a right relationship, that purpose that decision to have a right relationship is going to bring, bring about division. Indeed, you understand, if I have a purpose, an intention, a determination that I must have a relation, good relationship, right relationship with you, <coughs> then that is a conclusion, that's an image I have. I have replaced the old image by a new image. And therefore that image is going to bring about a division and therefore conflict. You understand this? That's right. That's right. That's right. Question is, what is knowledge in order to become something? Now wait a minute. Go into this very carefully. Hmm? Let's go into it. I acquire through study, through college and all the rest of it, certain knowledge in order to function efficiently, right? Knowledge is necessary to function efficiently. I must know how to ride a bicycle in order to go on it properly. I must know how to drive a car. I must know how to put mechanical things together. Knowledge is necessary to function efficiently. Then what takes place? To function efficiently is rather tiring, boring. I become mechanical. Therefore, I seek through function status. Right? Don't you? So, through function you create a status. So, status becomes far more important than function. To you, the governor, the 
minister or the, somebody who top, you respect because of status, not because of function. So there is a division, see what has taken place. Very interesting. There is a division created when you seek status through function. And therefore function becomes less efficient. And knowledge, which is the accumulation of information, accumulation of experience, accumulation of information, a mechanical process, a computerization of, a, of a certain parts of the brain is necessary to live in this world, to function. After all, I've learned English, perhaps also one or two other languages. I've learned English. And I use it to convey certain feelings, certain thoughts, certain point out certain things. Now, that knowledge I ca the mind can use to acquire a status. Because I talk, I talk to great many people, audience, uh, write books and all that, all that business that goes on. And that function can be translated into status. Then begins the conflict, because the division between function and status. Then status becomes all important. So when the mind is pursuing through knowledge status, then relationship is based on status, not on function. And therefore one gets very easily mechanical. When status becomes all important, function becomes mechanical. You get bored, it's meaningless to go to do things day after day, day after day, the routine, the, all that. So the mind getting bored, having no meaning to all that, seeks a status and introduces the factor of conflict. I hope you are following all this. So can the mind function and it is necessary to function with efficiency, with knowledge, with accuracy, without having status. And therefore, doing something that human beings love, want to do, not push to do. Oh, I don't know if you follow all this. Yes, sir. The question is, uh, just a minute, sir. Just a minute, sir. The question before you, sir. The question before you. 
Krishnamurti. A gentleman said to you, you love us. I objected. How does he know? I, all right, all right. The, I, the image. Yes, wait a minute, wait a minute. I understand, I understand. A gentleman said, you love us. And the questioner says, how does he know? Is that, is that not an image? Is it an image? Just don't say yes or no. Let's find out. It's a fact. <laughs> Look. If I, if the speaker is exploiting you, and that's very easy, then the speaker is projecting an image on you. But if the speaker is not encouraging any form of adoration, any form of uh, obedience, any form of following and all that business, then the speaker is saying something which you can share, it's yours. And something that's yours and mine is, can only take place when there is affection, love, all that. You can't share some, something with somebody intellectually. Can you? You can't share a description, can you? You can only share something which is the described, not the description. And the gentleman may feel that there is an affection. All right, what's wrong with it? Yes, sir. Is it fear that makes us be somebody, when society is telling us, be somebody? That is the question. Most of us want to be somebody, don't we? Now, how does this happen? Let's look into it. Can you live without comparison? You understand my question? Never, never to compare yourself with another in your looks, in your dress, in your school, you follow? All our education is based on comparing ourselves with somebody, with a hero, with a saviour, with a guru, with, you know, with somebody who knows much more than you do. Always compare, compare. Now, I know through comparison that I am dull 
when I compare myself with you who are very clever. Everybody says, you're awfully clever, bright, brilliant chap he is, good athlete, and you know, all that business goes on. And I compare myself with you and I say, through comparison I say, how terribly dull I am. And saying to myself, I am dull, I strive not to be dull. I fight, I struggle, but I am still dull, because I have compared myself with you who are always clever. So can I look at you, try to find out how to live without a single comparison? You understand what it means? Never to measure yourself against another. Then are you dull? Then you will say, I am what I am. Then you can say, what are you? You follow? Because I have compared myself with you, I have never put that question to myself, what does it mean to live without comparison, physically, psychologically, in any way? What does it mean? Does it mean that I'm, I'm, I am what I am and that's good enough? Or because I have never compared myself with another, there is no inferiority or superiority, there is no trying to be something. Then only I can put the question, what am I? You understand? What am I? A lot of reactions, verbal images, a conditioned mind that responds either irrationally, rationally, tendency, characteristic, idiosyncrasy, I'm all that. And what is all that? Just a lot of words and images, isn't it? So can the mind live without a single image? You'll find out if you want to go into it seriously. Yes, sir? Yes, Krishna I What are you? Since you are, I said before, silly old fool, talking to us, assorted other fools, <coughs> trying to communicate. On April Fool's Day I was sad and I said, what a fool I was. I didn't know it. I was sad. What a fool I am. What are I know it and I'm glad. I would like to ask you a very foolish question about seriousness. The question that comes to me is, who is serious? Who else is there 
Because we are so self-concerned about ourselves. The me is, when we become serious, we'll, our seriousness is self-concern. What am I? How am I to get further? More money? So this whole self-centered concern. And in that I'm afraid we are terribly serious. But surely, we are talking of a different kind of seriousness, a seriousness that is concerned not only with the me, but also with the whole human being, with the whole global problems, the wars, the brutalities, the violence, the insanity, the irrationality, the whole of life not just one, me and my concern. We're going to discuss this tomorrow morning in a different way. The second extract is from the second talk in Ojai, 1949, titled Right Relationship. And is it possible to be related without idea? Without this demand, without ownership, possession, can we commune with each other, which is really a relationship, on all the different levels of consciousness, If we are merely related to each other on a desire, a physical or psychological desire, need, and can there be a relationship without these conditioning causes as want.
as I said, this is quite a, a difficult subject and difficult problem. One has to go very deeply and very quietly into it. It's not a question of accepting or rejecting. We know what our relationship is at present. A contention, a struggle, a pain, or mere habit. If we can understand relationship with one fully, completely, then perhaps there is a possibility of understanding the of relationship with the many. That is with the society. If I do not understand my relationship with one, I certainly shall not understand my relationship with the whole, with society, with the many. And if my relationship with the one is based on a need, on gratification, then my relationship with the with society must be the same. Therefore there must be contention with the one and with the many. And is it possible to live with the one and with the many without this, without demand? Surely that is the problem, is it not? Not only between you and me, but between, between me and society. And to understand that problem and to go into it very deeply, one has to go into the question of self-knowledge. Because without, without knowing yourself as you are, exactly what is, obviously, one cannot have right relationship with another. Do what you will, escape, worship, read, go to cinemas, turn on radios, newspapers, do what you will. As long as there is no understanding of yourself, one cannot have right relationship. And hence the contention that antagonism, confusion, not only in yourself but outside you and about you. As long as we do we use relationship merely as a means of gratification, escape, as a, a distraction, which is mere activity. There can be no self-knowledge. But self-knowledge is understood, is uncovered. It is, its process is revealed through relationship. That is, if you are willing to go into the question of relationship and expose yourself to it, 
Because after all, you cannot live without relationship. But we want to use that relationship to be comfortable, to be gratified, to be something. Which means we use rela- we use relationship based on an idea. Which means the mind plays the important part in relationship. And as mind is concerned always to protect itself, always to remain within the known, it reduces all relationship to the level of of the habit or of security. Therefore, relationship becomes merely an activity. So we see that relationship which is if we allow it, a process of self-revelation. And we, since we do not allow it, relationship becomes merely an activity which is merely gratifying. And as long as the mind merely uses relationship for its own security, then that relationship is bound to create confusion and antagonism. And is it possible to live in relationship without the idea of demand, of want, of gratification. Which means, is it possible to love without the interference of the mind? We love with the mind. Our hearts are filled with the things of the mind. But surely the fabrication of the mind is not love. You cannot think about love. You can think about the person whom you may love, but that thought is not love. So gradually thought takes the place of love.
And when the mind becomes the supreme, the all-important, then obviously there isn't, can be no affection. Surely that's our problem, is it not? That we have filled our heart with the things of the mind. And the things of the mind are essentially ideas. What should be and what should not be. And can relationship be based on an idea? And if it is, is it not inevitable that there should be contention, strife and misery? And self-enclosing activity. And if the mind does not interfere, which is extremely difficult, it's not just a determination and not a, a practice, a discipline, for the mind not to interfere. And the mind does not interfere only when there is full comprehension of the process of the mind, not erecting a barrier or disciplining it or suppressing it or sublimating it. Then only is it possible to have relationship in which there is no contention. And therefore, a possibility of having a right relationship with society. 